0: just remember there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. Welcome to a special place in hell the podcast where an aging Gen X author and a self-hating millennial activist come together to thoroughly and conclusively solve our culture war problems with our combined wit, wisdom, and most importantly, lived experiences. I am the aging Gen X author, Megan Daum, and with me is the self-hating millennial, Sarah Hayter. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Megan, how are you? I'm okay. I just gorged myself on peaches. There, oh, <laughs> there were some peaches on my counter and I just ate all of them. Because uh, you didn't save them for anyone? I didn't save them for my kids because I don't have kids. Or the dog? No, if if the dog ate them, that I, nobody we would all be regretting that. So, then I'd have to have a woman in here, like a proper woman to come in and clean up the dog. Mm. Dog? You need a wife. I Look, don't joke. I have said this. <laughs> I I think we all need a wife, though. I bet you need a wife, too. Yeah, I need a wife, definitely. You
1: need a sister wife. Sister wife. Okay, I'll do it. You know what? I get it. Now I get it. You're going to go Mormon. You I need to having, go full uh, Mormon. Yeah, having 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 now been a mother, I, I think um, it makes sense to me. Suddenly I get the logic.
0: Yeah. So um, if anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, I'd be shocked because this was the main story of the week. I mean, forget forget uh foreign affairs there was a meme going around having to do with uh, a woman a a mother um, seeing a peach on a counter on the kitchen counter and thinking to herself that she will save it for her children and then her husband seeing the same peach and being excited because he's going to put it in his smoothie (laughs) and this (laughs) sums up the state of uh marital relations in the west what did you think of this
1: so I wasn't on Twitter the day that it exploded. This, which is strange. <laughs> this is what me, happens when you get on I'm Twitter. On, you miss. Yeah. You, you're not uh, going to be.
0: How you can't possibly keep up with the news if you miss one so day. I,
1: yeah, yeah. I I logged on like when when the the memes based on the memes based on the memes were yes. You know, being shared by people, and I just did not get the original reference for for such a long time. And then when you see it, you're just like, huh, this. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind it of this. under it was a little bit of an anticlimax. <laughs> yeah. Um the other memes were pretty good. Um there was like, you know, kids who were crying, like mothers coming in and saying what's wrong and the kid is rolling around crying, weeping, saying daddy my peach.
0: <laughs> oh, I thought it was and then dad comes in and just like th- throws the kid out the window.
1: Yeah, there was I t- <laughs> It's such a it's such a funny <laughs> it's such a funny thing that, you know, some tiny thing just sparks this this fire and inflames these tensions that I guess have already always existed. but I I understand, you know, so let's start this way, in that I understand where the mother is coming from in a way. I get that, you know, as a mother, you feel, highly, highly, highly attuned to the needs of your children. And it's always children first, children first. And, you know, and I think that way all the time, everything I'm doing every, you know, before I go to sleep, I think about their day and how to best prepare for, 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 you know, the life of, of my children and not me. Um, And it's, so I understand Where she's coming from. And I also understand the frustration that you have a partner who's supposed to be your equal partner who seems to disregard these um, priorities or seems to have different ones, I guess. So I'll grant her that. I'll grant the mom that. I'll grant that this feeling is real and it's not totally insane um, but I do feel like, you know, and I think this is going to be the rest of the discussion, um, that there are many ways in which it is very unfair. Um, it's unfair both to the husband who obviously has just a different way of, you know, being in the world. He has different priorities. He doesn't think that if a child doesn't have the very best peach, that means that they'll be deprived in some way. And, and I think he's probably right about that. I and mean, when it comes to me and my husband and our different ways of parenting, I'm 100% more like a, just detail-oriented and, you know, how how I, I have specific ways in which I have to dress um, them and feed them and all of that. Um, and my husband doesn't really care. He's just like, so long as the kid is fed and, and taken care right. of and sleeping okay and diapers changed and all that, like everything is, then everything is fine. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's probably right.
0: <laughs> yes, he is. He is technically correct. Although you are, um, sort of, uh, more cosmically correct, I think. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, so, you know, you and I, um, we both listened to a really interesting conversation this week. It was on Barry Weiss's podcast, uh, honestly, as part of her common sense, Substack empire. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm really I'm curious as to your thoughts. It was a conversation between uh, Jill Filipovich, who's a, a journalist and a lawyer, and she's written a lot about feminism. Um, she's got a couple of books out about this. Um, and the other person was Louise Perry, who is a sort of new newer voice on the scene. And she has a book coming out called The Case Against the Sexual Revolution. Um, and a lot of issues came up uh, among them. Uh, motherhood. Let's just, let's just get into it. Cause I thought we, we both listened to this and we had, um, sort of uncannily similar reactions. Yeah. Yeah. They talked about an, a number of subjects among them porn, by the way, which as our listeners know is a, a favorite topic of ours around here. Um, but you know, I, I was really struck by the way that Louise in particular, um, and she, we should say she's from the UK. Um, she's been somebody who's been very outspoken against pornography. She's, she's part of a, an activist group called, um, we can't consent to this, which, um, doesn't have to do with pornography per se, but it's an interesting kind of niche, niche kind of activism. It, it, it keeps track of cases where um, women in the UK have been killed and then their defendants have claimed in court that those women died as a result of rough sex that they had consented to. Now, this is um, this is a, a corner of activism that I don't think we have has come over here to the States, at least as far as I'm aware. So, you know, she Louise Perry is by no means a prude. She's she's young. I think she's probably in her in her 30s. Um, but she's very, very critical of the way that, um, the sexual revolution has kind of played out, especially in the last probably 10 or 15 years or so, uh, just with respect to the concepts like sex positivity, um, just the way that, um, sex work has become a kind of vehicle of, of feminism itself. Um, and so, so there was a lot there, um, I, I don't know. What did you, uh, wh- where do you want to start with this?
1: Yeah, there was, there was a lot there. And I think that her, her general stance on sex positivity is interesting. It's actually, I've seen more and more of it among younger feminists or even people who don't call themselves feminists, but just this, this, I wouldn't call it sex negativity, but, but I'd, very different view than the one that I'm used to. And it's coming from a younger set of people. And I think it might be because they were, this is the, you know, the first generation that has been, uh, that has grown up and, you know, went to college and spent their early adulthood within the, the parameters set by the sexual revolution. You know, they're living this free world in this, you know, brand new world that, that was promised to them. And I think that they are uh some of them at least are coming to the conclusion that this is not actually what they wanted or or it, it's not as desirable anyway as as it might have been advertised to be. Um, so there's, there's a lot there that I thought was interesting. And I kind of agree um, in that I'm not sex positive, right? And I'm, I'm not sex negative. I'm sex neutral. I don't think sex is a there's sex positivity to me is not an inherently valuable thing and it's not an inherently good thing. Um, I think it, I, Louise Perry did cover this a little bit. She, she touched on it that sex can sometimes be, be bad, be negative and be harmful. And then, yeah. they, then they moved on to the, to choking, um, specific Ugh, or certain I, <laughs> specific practices yeah, that are yeah. really, <laughs> that, that they say are just harmful and bad. And, and, uh, we need to have a conversation about it. Um, I, I think I, I I agree with that. I don't know um, how much of it we can, you know, critique in a way that will actually change the reality on the ground, right? And I think I think some structure has to change. It endlessly critiquing and endlessly talking about things and endlessly having conversations. I don't think that's sufficient. So either you change broader norms in some deep and fundamental way or you uh, change the environment structurally. So, you know, p- online pornography changed the environment in such a way that now we have this this endless, you know, just copious amounts of any kind of pornography that you could possibly want at your fingertips. It's private, it's available to you anytime. And that has changed the environment in a way that we can't, you know, th- there's no way to put the genie back in the bottle the way the way to to now have a different relationship with porn has to be a structural change in some
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, in, in some fundamental way and you know the the discussion with porn is oft, often and i think we we even did this a little bit it's like oh is it bad is it good blah blah, blah. I mean, and that's interesting um but do we even have a capacity to change things right. you know and and to what degree can we k- manipulate this environment now that it's out um, and I find it's, like, very similar to the discussion on uh, about social media, internet in general. But, like, you know, people will uh, pull their hair out about Twitter and Instagram and all these things. And what are they doing to our, you know, youth? Okay. Let's say that we all agree that Instagram is bad for young people. Now what? Right. You know, like, <laughs> right. what can we do now? We Do we ban Instagram? Okay, we do that and then another competitor prop. You know, pops up and and they're doing exactly the same thing. They're pushing the exact same buttons. Um, it doesn't feel to me that these are actually solutions that can be implemented in any realistic way. And I think we need to be more creative um, and and yeah. you know, more innovative about mm-hmm. about solving it. Well, yeah.
0: And mm-hmm. I thought too. I noticed that so much of the discussion. So so Jill Filipovich is coming from more of the the kind of millennial feminist point of view she she's interested in um power structures and and she's interested in and you know defining the the progressive left and i guess liberalism in and of itself as something that exists in opposition to the right wing the political right the christian right whatever it is so i thought it was curious because barry was describing a world um where sex positivity is really just baked in to just kind of mainstream day-to-day experience like that that you know, it is kind of now a a default setting that young people are going to, you know, see sex everywhere and think that it's something that they need to participate in, that having a lot of sex hookup culture is a rite of passage. And so if you are going to have, you know, a, a, a satisfying adult life at some point and settle down with somebody and feel like you're, you're, you've lived your best life, you need to go through this stage of trying out different things and hooking up. And, I thought it was interesting because Jill said that she did not think that that was the norm. She thought that maybe mm. that was true in, in, in the Ivy League and in elite circles and the, you know, the places where people like us <laughs> tend to you know, get is sort of myopic because we don't see past it. And, and she seemed to think that you know, the vast majority of the country was still really puritanical
1: when it came to these things. I, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, she's wrong. I mean, there's no. The, if anything, the rest of America has has fewer restrictions in terms of, like, they're hook they're hooking up more frequently, right? Like people in the um, in the some like red rural red state areas, yeah, they're hooking it, up. Yeah, they're they're hooking up just as frequently. They're having just as much premarital sex, if not more. They're definitely getting married at far lower rates. Right. They're having far more children outside of wedlock. So there's their their social structures are actually weaker. Right um, you know uh, surrounding sex and and relationships so that you know I, I think that I think what you meant maybe um, is that it, there's no one literally saying you know you need to fuck 20 guys to f- be self-actualized you know like <laughs> that <laughs> I think there are podcasts devoted to that,
0: put message, but, but well,
1: yeah. right, but you know, I, I think she's she's saying that 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 message is not explicit, right, um, anywhere, and I think that she might be right that it's it's actually not really that explicit, um, but I also think it doesn't need to be. That you know, there's a there's a powerful push, um, you know, uh, for young women to have sex, you know, to have um, lots of casual sex. Um, because there's there's lots of guys who want it. There's lots of guys who want it. We're pressuring them to, to, uh, to do it and to partake. And they don't have. Um, I mean, I don't know what what exactly they might need to be able to say, look, no. Um, but certainly, in a different time, we used to have different social standards, and a young woman could say, look, my my virtue, you know, like you're that you're taking something really important away from me. Um, if we do this, so I need certain guarantees, right? Um, and now she can't ask for that, and she can't even see, uh, you know, she can't even view sexual activity in in the way in the this this sort of uh, sacred way, you know, as if she even has possession of something called a virtue, right? right? And and I I think that's mostly a good thing, um, or it is a good thing in some ways, certainly, um, but but it it. Leaves women fewer, I guess, um, options. Um, yeah, there are fewer few... levers to pull, right? To sort right, of right, Just you know, To, the, to put, say, look, let slow this down. Mixed metaphors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so, how how is she going to ask for what she wants? Um, what can she use? Like just just thinking about these, you know, two individuals from the perspective of. Uh, you know, like almost game theory. Like one wants sex and one wants a relationship. What can the young woman do to persuade the young man into a relationship, um, into investing energy right. and attention and and all these things into her? Um, and I don't think there is there there there, there isn't much she can well, do. Well, we there... would have said not having sex with him, right? Right. And, that's
0: right. And that, what... <laughs> right, but actually, I I think there was a point in the conversation where. Somebody pointed out, well, yeah, if the the a lot of these young women can't even get their minds around the concept of withholding sex as a way of I- encouraging some kind of you know greater commitment, or at least holding on to some kind of mystique, like that's yeah, not something that right. they comprehend.
1: It's, I think that there's there's a sense of like that I, women have or young women have like sort of declawed themselves, right? Like in a way that they've just taken taken this this avenue away from themselves. Part of it might just be that they don't think they can. Um, uh, Another part of it is the idea that really this is supposed to empower you. You know, to like, yes, he is cute, and maybe you do want to hook up too a little bit. You know, and part of you wants to hook up, part of you wants a relationship, and so you just give in to the part that wants to hook up because mm-hmm. you've been told that this is the very empowering path, right? Um, and and that is what he would do, and that is what he does want yes. to do, and so th- they're therefore, by definition, there's something um, th- that that this is this is the best way to be, I guess. Um, I feel, you know. It, So it's interesting because there's like some, I think, studies out on this um, that if you are like the better looking women (laughs) withhold sex more often Mm -hmm. than higher status, higher status women,
0: which, by the way, doesn't (laughs) higher status women does not mean like having a a big job. That just means
1: being hot, I suppose. Being really hot. Right. Um, But the, the hotter you are, the less promiscuous you can afford to be. Right. Right. And that's so that in itself is very interesting because those women basically so essentially we're saying those women do have leverage. The hotter you are, the more desirable you are, the more leverage you have. And you can you can then afford, quote unquote, to to withhold sex until you get, you know, a relationship. or Right. Some
0: kind of commitment. Um, so are you saying that this is why feminists are ugly? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's- you know
1: what I I well, our feminists are ugly. I don't think so. No, I think but, uh, well, nowadays
0: feminists are attractive. Ask as the manosphere. I think. I think maybe we should rename our show "Ask the Manosphere" because I am, I'm constantly wondering what they think. Well, but there is okay. Since our audience does seem to really want to come here um, for for the sake of seeing us, quote unquote. Kick the sacred cows. I I mean there is the this this kind of sex positivity, the kind of social justice oriented feminists that we see, they are not often the most conventionally attractive. Like they don't look like cheerleaders. They have a certain kind of look to them. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. insofar as they are hooking up a lot, it could be that on some subconscious level, they feel like they have to do it because yeah. they don't have the status to actually hold out for a relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can see that. I, 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 and it, that's, that is certainly one of those things that you're not supposed to. I know, but we want well not say, supposed to say <laughs> you're not supposed to say that it's a thing. I, um, <laughs> I,
0: cause yeah, cause yeah, because I mean, I walk around like I walk around Brooklyn or something, for instance, and I see women who back in my day, you know, 20, 25 years ago would not, I'm sorry, I'll just say it. Like they wouldn't have had boyfriends. Okay. Mm. Like they Mm -hmm. just, they're either overweight or they're more more likely, it's just that they're dressed in a way that is, there's a, the the body positivity movement um, is such that I think a lot of women who are not conventional, you know, who are not adhering to sort of conventional, very strict and very tyrannical, let's be frank. Uh, you know, I'm not advocating, I'm not saying everybody should look like a cheerleader by any means, but I think that um, there's a sense that, you know, just because I, I don't look like a, like a model, I, I that doesn't mean I'm not entitled to sex and, you I find myself observing a lot of women now and thinking, wow okay well if this were like 1990, I don't think these girls would be having any sex or they right. certainly wouldn't be like having relationships or they or wouldn't dates. have relationships they might still have be having sex I don't but not. Yeah. Relationship, you think you think they wouldn't have sex? I don't know. Either? I mean, first of all, you just didn't see it as much. I mean, I know, this is mm. we're, this is really going to get us in trouble, but w- w- we might as well just. I, I I just um and maybe this is good. See, this is the thing. And then sometimes I think, wow, okay, well, men are much. The body inclusivity is also now. Um, it, it it's effect, affecting what men find attractive. Like maybe men find a wider range of women's bodies and appearances attractive than in the past because body types do go in and out of fashion. Let's face it. The Kardashian <sighs> body type has changed the game f- mm-hmm. in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. 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 So a but, but, but here's the thing. So yes, Kardashians are different. Um, they are a different kind of beauty, but they're still. Yeah, they're I'm not. Saying, I'm expr- not. Compa- I'm not saying that they're like the social
0: justice But I think, but it's all a spectrum, right? I think the spectrum might be wider. Uh,
1: I, I I don't know if the, 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 sure. May, maybe this spectrum is a little wide. I think in terms of what men will, the kinds of people men will fuck, it's always been fairly wide. Like I think, I think they will do mm-hmm. it. It's it's about. Who they want to be in a relationship with? Who will, they will publicly say right. this is my girlfriend? Right, like that's a that's a different kind of person, um, and that might not be the the body positivity, you know, um, feminist warrior. But they
0: will. Um, but they you're saying that they would always have like fucked that kind of girl.
1: I think so. I think so. But it just would have been, um, you know, a. a Quiet, shameful thing, you know. Mm -hmm. On the perspective of maybe so, I'm saying maybe so that you just wouldn't brag about it, but you would do it if it was offered to you.
0: See, okay, so because my my sort of instinct is to think that those girls 20 years ago wouldn't have
1: been having any sex at all. Like they would have been sort of female incels. I think that would have been the restriction though that they would have imposed on themselves. Like they would have said that no, I I I either get a relationship or I have sex, but I, I, uh, I mean, I have a sex within a relationship where I don't have sex. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Um, Yeah. And I think that that, that would have been the limitation because they would have said no to the guys more, more frequently than they say no now. Um, Because now they're, you know, captured by this, this way of thinking that tells you that this is actually a very empowering way. And and a
0: form of self care. It's almost like they think it's a form of self care.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, right. And and they, they, think that that's so, I feel there. Sometimes my frustrations with feminism is that, especially modern feminism, third wave feminism, sex positive feminism, whatever you want to call it, is that it feels anti woman. You know, like I mean, a lot of people talk about it's anti it's anti male, it's anti men. But I, it, to me, it feels anti woman in that it it there are some aspects of it that feel like self sabotage, um, on the part of the average woman and given what the average woman wants for herself and, and you know, uh, how she wants to be seen and how she wants to relate to others in the world. Um, and so it's, it's almost like a gaslighting, but it's like a self-gaslighting.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mean like it's... So because you're, you're denying um, your own sort of biological sexual impulses, you're trying to impose well, male standards
1: onto your sex drive? Yeah, male standards, but also just this... Um, it, it, male standards in general but also this utopian thinking of this is the way it should be and so this is the way i will be because i'm one of these you know uh, enlightened people who you know I, i'm i'm a self-sufficient woman and i don't feel that you need to have a husband and children to be happy and uh because i don't feel this way um and 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 i here here's what i'm I, i'm i'm skeptical that she doesn't feel this way I think that that she does want that normal life but she almost feels that it's stigmatized to want it um, or to want it out loud mm-hmm. um, or to pursue it actively like right. there's something or almost to be seen
0: uh, wanting it to
1: be seen as, as as pursuing it right that that all of those is uh, it, all, all of that is um not. Correct in some important sense, not feminist, not um, dignified, and because of this, you're, you're you're you see a lot of women sort of sleepwalking. There's a lot here,
0: and ultimately, what it comes down to is this argument about what is. What is biological and what is social? like what is what is socially constructed and what is biologically mandated and where do those things intersect? And that comes up when you talk about things like sex drive and and who wants to have casual sex and what are the stakes? And also one of our favorite subjects, the subject of parenthood and and motherhood. Um, there was a really interesting um, part of the discussion with with those three where they talked about, just the absolute, as Louise would have said, impossibility of having children if you're a woman and really rising in the workplace. And that's a really controversial thing to say.
1: Yeah, um, I think we should play a little bit of that clip um, because I found that there was, there was just a lot there that we could go off of. Are we gonna play it? Yes. Um, yeah. I grew up in retrospect on lean-in feminism. I grew up thinking women should have it all, could have it all. We could look as good as Cheryl Sandberg, have kids, you know, secure the bag, all of it. And in many ways like that version of feminism has worked out incredibly well for me and for many other women I know. You know, and if you look out into the world, you see more women CEOs, you see women on boards, you see women owning their own businesses, you see women billionaires. Louise, what is the downside to lean-in feminism?
2: That it is incompatible with motherhood. I mean, it's not a coincidence that the women who disproportionately make up those very tip-top spots in elite professions are disproportionately likely not to have had children. I think that the problem is that the whole system is kind of built on sand, basically. Like, it either depends on women not having children, which most women don't want to do, right? Like, I think that there are all sorts of really good reasons not to have children. The truth is that, you know, 80% roughly of women will end up having children. More women than that would like to have children. And the idea of having it all is just fundamentally incompatible with that. I speak partly from experience as I have a 14-month-old who's asleep upstairs right now. And it is so hard. It is just so, it is just so difficult to make... The labor market and family life work together. And I think the blind spot in feminism on motherhood, not in all strains of feminism, but, um, you know, in general, there's, I can't remember the the figure exactly I quote in the book, but the the proportion of articles written by professors of gender studies that that even mention motherhood is amazing. It's like single digits. It it is this like vast area of female life, which has basically been neglected. And I think the reason for that is that if freedom is your preeminent value, if the aim of the game is freedom, motherhood is completely incompatible with that. I have a friend who had a baby a few months after I did, who said that um, the only thing that would restrict your freedom more than having a newborn is going to prison.
1: Okay. Are you in prison, Sarah? (laughs) (laughs) Um. That was so interestingly put, <laughs> and um, I don't disagree. And we've talked about this a little bit on this podcast, you know, jokingly, but also it's a it's a very real thing that that I have had to make a very deliberate choice in terms of how I spend my time, in terms of um, of what I will prioritize, um, because it is. You just run against this, just this wall. <laughs> this that you you face the impossibility of. You know you have twenty four hours in the day, and how are you going to possibly do all the things and have it have it all? Like how how is this? It is literally impossible. And you see that very clearly the second you have a child, <laughs> yeah. um, the second this person is 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 in your hands, and even really before then, what, pregnancy is not easy, and for some women. It's extremely hard um, and uh, debilitating, almost. That there's some uh, there's there's women who who used to die from from what we just oh yeah sort of laugh off as as even morning sickness, right? Like we just that this is something that happens once in a while. But there's some women who have such an extreme form of it that they do nothing to throw up um, throughout their throughout their pregnancy, and and in the past it used to it it, w- it would even mean a death sentence to some of these women because they simply couldn't. Keep anything down, and it would mean that that you would essentially starve to death. Um, uh, so there's there's uh, it, it. Pregnancy itself is so difficult, and. And going to work in that state is difficult. And then on top of that, once you have this newborn, you're recovering. Your hormones are are all over the place. And they stay all over the place for a very long time. If you're a breastfeeding mother, um, then you are, you know, on the clock breastfeeding. And, you know, this is something I didn't know until... I had a child. I don't know why. I just, I, I didn't know that many people who had young people who had had kids, um, you know, as <laughs> I was, adults, I had seen, they weren't, you don't have enough trad friends. <laughs> well, I just didn't. Um, I, I also in my family, like when my other cousins were, were having kids and stuff, I just, I was in college. I was away from them. So I didn't see, I didn't see it happen. Um, uh, so I didn't know that, you know, breastfeeding was this crazy involved thing. You know, you're just on the clock, uh, feeding this this you know newborn and the newborn needs to be fed every two hours, right? Which is insane. And then and that's that's including the time to actually breastfeed the new newborn. So you're you're you know you have your two hour schedule within that time it takes, you know, 35 minutes to to breastfeed. Mm. So you really have like a little less than an hour and a half and then you have to breastfeed again. Um, and your entire day just is is off in these two hour segments just to feed this baby for weeks and weeks and weeks until it you know slowly incrementally becomes you know two and a half hours right. three hours four hours you know and uh, and and it stays that way for a very very long time. How can you work um, in that environment? Either you have to just say I have to give up breastfeeding, um, and and for many women it's important. That they maintain this kind of bond with their child, and it it really is the best nutrition, yeah. Um, um, for very very young, you know, newborns, it's better for them in in, in all sorts of ways. But you know, pre- prevents ear infections and infections in general. There's you're passing antibodies onto your child, so it's it's there are so many ways in which it's better than uh, better than the alternatives. Um, but you're forced to have to give it up because how can you, you know, unless you have maternity leave that lasts a year, two years, <laughs> why are you going to do this? Um, so it was really refreshing um, to hear somebody who calls himself a feminist say something about motherhood because I have felt um, that since I've become a mother, I've, I, I, I very powerfully got, a, got the feeling that feminism was no longer about me. Um, that I am not the center of feminism, and if anything, I get the sense that that you know, lean in feminism despises me, you know, or <laughs> right like that mm. that they, they that it considers me, um, like, uh, some, some somebody to distrust, you know, someone whose values are not their values, um, uh, you know, that that they they look at somebody who who chooses to have kids and even wants a ton of kids, you know, like like I do, um, and is willing to even give up aspects of her, you know, uh, have it all like life to do it as as somebody who is lacking um, in some fundamental way. And I think that, that there, it must be the case that other women feel this way too, especially other mothers, that feminism doesn't support their choices um, or value what they value, which is... Having children and having a family, um, it was interesting to hear somebody bring up that a lot of women want kids. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of women want yeah. this for themselves. Yeah, um, and you don't. You don't want. Well, this. I I'll don't. Say this, but, not. I,
0: but the thing is, I am an outlier, and I am really, really careful to say that even though I have talked and written a lot about making the choice not to have kids, that those of us who make that choice, we're still very much in the minority. Um, and it's not that we shouldn't talk about our experience. And I actually do, I, I do think that there are women who probably don't want kids and shouldn't have them, but go ahead and do so because they feel they have to, or they haven't thought about it a lot. They're, they're definitely that, that exists. But I think in the main, she's, she's completely right. The vast majority of women, uh, want to have them. And, and increasingly, um, I think she's absolutely right. The on top of that, there are women who can't have them, who want. Them. Um,
1: so, but yeah, that's that's definitely a population that's increasing. Yeah, I see it increasing. Um, in the cohort, just a little bit older than I, I am. Um, I'm I'm seeing women, you know, in their late thirties, early forties, uh, find themselves incapable of bearing children, and you know, I I actually like. There's this idea of of. Um, fertility as being like okay, you're, you can you can probably have kids till you're 40 or 30, but but it actually ranges really widely depending on you, you yeah. know, as a as a person. And there are some women who they they just really can't uh, carry children anymore. At you know, and they're like in their early 30s even, and then it just becomes incredibly hard for them to get pregnant. So I've I've seen this happen to even women who you think it shouldn't happen to because your individual, you know, fertility is is a little bit different, you know, but th- there's these Broader norms that are also not being considered, like the the broader reality for the vast majority of women women is that if you are older than thirty five, you are going to have a tougher time uh, conceiving. If you are older than forty, you are going to have a much much harder time uh, conceiving, and you might you might have to face that as you're entering your late thirties, early forties, that you just uh, you probably in all likelihood will never have children, um, and that is a reality that. Uh, I think the vast majority of women who, who end up there, who are, you know, 38 or whatever and childless, that they didn't anticipate this um, and that, that this is not by choice. You know, that if they could change, if they could get married and have a child today, they would. Um, but obviously that it, it, it's something that at that stage in life is is very difficult to do. Yeah. Um, and I feel as if, you know, I don't want to blame feminism because I... I feel I feel like that's overdone a little bit. I, there's a lot that's blamed on feminism. That that well, I think the uh, medical
0: establishment
1: either lied
0: to women or didn't know, like I failed to inform. Failed to inform. I think okay, there, there's that, definitely yeah. a
1: failure because I don't think this is something that the average young woman knows. You know, and she if she hears about fertility, she'll hear it from insane online insults. You know, she's not going to hear it from... <laughs> right, the messenger is dubious, yes. Yeah, right. So you're just going to say, you know, fuck off, like that... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to consider any of that as, as being even potentially real. Um, and, and so this... So you just sleepwalk yourself right. into this position... Um, And there's so many women who are who otherwise would have made great mothers who otherwise could have, you know, settled down at an earlier stage in life. But they just didn't think that that was a choice that they had to make right then um, and then didn't make it. Um, So I think there's something really valuable about at the very least, you know, having these norms of informing young young people like, Mm -hmm. look, here's here's the reality facing you. Um, but particularly informing young women, like this is, this is, these are the restrictions that you have to live by. And I think that, that right there is the, um, is the crux of it where, where we just don't like telling young women, um, that you are restricted in one way yeah, or the and other. The, right? or they, or that we, nature
0: we, has it in for you. It's just not right. fair. It's not fair.
1: And that's, it's not fair, right. so we don't, so we ignore it, <laughs> so we pretend right. like it's not or there, or we're going we to just... do somehow
0: like socially engineer the world in such a way to achieve equity. I mean, this is this equity versus equality conundrum once again, right?
1: You right. I, mean, I I question the whole the, the whole concept. I don't even I, I don't know who said that. That's what women want. Um, you know, like who who. I, I'm not sure if that's the, – the average woman that I speak to is not wanting to be a billionaire. She might want to marry a billionaire, but she doesn't want to be but a billionaire. She's you know what also, I mean? like,
0: okay, but let's just – I mean, she's also not wanting to be, like, quote-unquote, barefoot and pregnant. The average woman exactly, does not want right, to be right, right, at right. home with, with kids, kids and have and, absolutely yeah. no – intellectual life or outside or, or, or way of making money. I mean, also, let's face it, like women who are na- not able to earn a living, they are more likely to stay in abusive marriages. There's mm-hmm. all kinds mm-hmm. of prices mm-hmm. that are paid for that. So uh, right. not, it's not quite as simple as, as that's not what they want. But I mean, I, I've said this repeatedly. I mean, I wrote in, in my book, The Problem With Everything, where it's interesting because I think Louise is saying so many things that I've been saying for years uh, in various places, including in that last book. And I feel like I wasn't, I I was always getting pushback. Like, don't say that. You're not allowed to say that. You're wrong. Your logic is wrong. You're off. You're blinkered. You're this and that. And I'm really glad that somebody is saying this stuff in the mainstream now. And um, there seems to be more, people are seem to be more receptive to it. But, you know, I say throughout, like, mother nature is the ultimate misogynist. Like it is it is not fair that women have to choose between having a family and having a high powered career. Um, And if you try to have both of those things, it's going to be either it's going to be really, really, really hard and you're going to be miserable a lot of the time. um,
1: And or you might not be uh, such a great mother. Sorry to sorry to put it that way. Um, And it's or just spend as much time with your kids as you want. You know, like maybe they have great care. Maybe they have the best nanny in the world and they feel very loved and you see your children you know, you know, an hour a day. You know, yeah. like like the queen would. I,
0: <laughs> I think we should say, although I mean, there's there's data on this. I don't have this. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. But I think the you know the average working mother today spends far more time with her children than the average stay at home mom did in the 50s and the 60s. So the the bar has been raised, and I think it's no accident that the culture started imposing all these standards, extremely high standards on motherhood, on parenting, on being an involved parent, you know, child child-centered parenting that coincided with middle class upper middle class white women entering the workforce. I mean there was, that was well, so, no so coincidence.
1: I, I, I think that's a great point and I I think that that's totally like there's something about motherhood now that's like type A like it's very, it, it, it really oh, is like, like, bespoke. like a <laughs> yeah, it's 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 that same person who sort of charges in into the corporate world and and does all the work and stays late who's also like applying those same that same approach to motherhood. Right, it's
0: like the Tracy um, Flick school of parenting.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it well, I didn't get that reference, but oh, I okay. think I know what you're talking about. Okay. But it's 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 <laughs> the same um you know, it's the same uh, approach and I but but here's the thing. I I I think that the, the difference between the stay-at-home mom who's there all the time and, you know, interacts with her children less frequently, it doesn't play with them, that kind of thing, versus the working mom who's there a couple of hours a day but is, like, intensely focused on her children while they're there is, you know, I think from the experience of the child um, that you would pr- – I would have preferred, I did prefer as a child that my mother was just there you know, in the background. She's not playing with me. Mm -hmm. She's not interacting with me all the time. She's not even a good playmate. So I don't want her playing with me. Um, But I want her to be around because there's a... In in the back of my mind, there's a sense of safety and support that's, you know, and care. That Just the fact that her presence um, was a comforting thing. And there was a short period in my life, like very, very short, when I was um, very young that my parents had to... um, uh, like when we moved to America, my parents had to um, let me stay at my aunt's house for like a two months or something. Um, and I I only saw my parents a couple of times, like you know, like on the weekends or something, once in a while, like kind of thing. Wow. In that per- period, it was it was because of school, they because of moving. I don't know. There were all these like it was a logistical problem. Um, and so for a while I was at my aunt, and I didn't know my aunt that well because she was my American aunt. I didn't know her that well. We had just moved from from Pakistan. Um, and uh, so I was just in this like strange home <laughs> with these strange people. Um, and I remember that time as just being a time where I was just on edge, you know, yeah, and it's not really that I felt scary. Well, so it wasn't like frightening, right? It wasn't frightening, frightening. But it was just like on the back of my mind, I just sort of just felt I'm not comfortable. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Like I'm not
1: entirely comfortable. And I don't feel like I can advocate for myself and for my needs. I would just sort of comply like, oh, like, do you want to eat this? Yes, I'll eat this. Like I just want to, you know, these are strangers. So I, to me, they felt like strangers. Um, So I would just, you know, do what they wanted to do, wanted me to do. And I would be very, I would comply with what they asked. And um, it, it wasn't the way that I would behave with my own mother. I would be very much... I'm much more demanding with my mother. And, you know, because I <laughs> right. she's you my mother. You can treat your like, mother like garbage. You can treat... That's how it should be. Yes. You can treat your mother like garbage. You can cry. You know, you can cry a lot. Yeah. And and you can whine. And you can, like, let your feelings loose. And you can do that in the safety of your mother's arms in a way that you can't as strangers. Right. So I think that there is... You know, I mean, I don't know if working full time and then spending a couple of hours with your children, but like being very intensely there for them is the same thing. You know, even if even if that stay at home mom isn't directly involved, because I think there's a very different psychological effect of just having a caretaker who, you know, loves you so much and will, you know, is just totally oriented towards you. Um, around just around generally you know yeah um, so I think there's something to that but I, I won't go into it too much too much further than that um, uh, but because there there's so much, There's so much in that discussion. Well, and it makes
0: I can hear I can imagine people now listening to this, and I think a lot of people will agree with you, and I I agree with you. But I think also people are going to say, "Well, how dare you?" Like that's not necessarily true. You don't know that might be your experience. Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of different ways to do this. What about everyone has different experiences? Yeah, Yeah, and and,
1: everyone has different experiences, and there's that's a very that that's always a good comeback to to everything you say. Always to be sure.
0: Yeah, right. But I I mean, listening to you lay that out, I can say that I agree with you. And that's part of the reason that I chose not to have kids. Like, Mm. I don't want that kind of life. So I decided, I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons that I am glad I don't have kids. But um, I I just don't, I I think it's important. Like, I don't think that I could have been the kind of person that had, you know, did my career and had my kids and just decided that I was gonna, you know, they were gonna have to deal with it. (laughs) Like, I'm like, I'm, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, I, I would have been too happy with my kids banging on the office door when, when Molly was inside writing, trying to meet her deadline or whatever. Um, it just, it would have been a mess for me. But you know what, here's the thing in order to make that decision, You have to, in order to make a decision not to have kids, okay, for instance, if that's if that's who you are, you have to be ready to admit the biological truths of motherhood. You have to be Mm -hmm. able to admit to everything that you just said and recognize that is truth. And see, this is where I get a little bit I I wary of the whole sort of child-free movement because the, you know there's this whole thing well oh you know not all women you know many women don't want kids and and this is this is a movement and you know we need to acknowledge this is as a kind of like marginalized group sometime or like sometimes there's like an identity category of, of not having kids and you know I, if I, I know that that's useful for for some people and that that, that that's that's fine but it's like I, I get frustrated that the people who talk about choosing not to have kids, seem to not talk about the fact that there are these biological realities and that is driving their decision not to have kids. It's always Mm -hmm. just sort of like, oh, well, we want to have a free society and women should be free to choose this. And it's not our, you know, biology doesn't tell women to have kids. There's no biological imperative to have children. This is something that society has imposed upon us. And so we are, we are throwing off the shackles and being our authentic selves by choosing not to have kids. I mean, yeah, that's, it's, yeah. it's I, not I, that it's something yeah, else. Uh,
1: it's something else. Right. And I, I, just to, just to clarify a little bit with the, the stay at home and working home, like work, working mom thing. I mean, I, I am not a total hundred percent stay at home mother either. I mean, like, you I, do I, a podcast. I work. Let's, let's be clear. I, mean, I, do a, I have a job. <laughs> I have a full-time job and then I have my right. And then I do all this. Like, podcasting stuff. So I'm I'm obviously Where are your not kids somebody right now? who's are they like chained up? Are they like are um, they outside? Are they like you know chained I to seen the radiator? They okay. um who knows. But but of course I have to have help. Of course, right? And that's a and the reason I say this because it is it's it's painful. Like from the perspective of of I mean maybe and maybe not every, of course, not not all, not all women struggle with you know dropping the kids off at daycare or with a nanny or with a babysitter but i've always struggled with it and i you know it it's 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 a situation where you're not happy either way i'm not happy uh you know 12 hours a day 14 15 hours a day like hanging out with with kids i'm also not happy not being with them right or, Right. or right but whatever that was a confusing way to phrase it but you get what i mean like there's a sense of like there's there's no real way to, to have it all. And I think that the, the first step is to admit that to yourself. Um, and as, as you said, to recognize biological realities um, and to face them head on, right? And, and deliberately, because I think that that makes it, it's so much easier for me that, I, that I, I think I stepped into this with a deliberate idea of what my life was going to look like, which was, I, I recognize that while, the, while I have small kids, my life will be hell um and that i will not have <laughs> that's why the podcast w- is named a special place in health this Ew, is uh, so, Apple so Apple, many and i applications. won't have yes yeah i won't have uh, a social life because i can't afford it so that there's some things that just have to be cut like cut out entirely um in order for me to work and to also be the kind of mother that i want to be um some things have to be sacrificed and the thing that has to be sacrificed is is you know vacations and social life and you know date night or whatever. Right. So, right. but that's a temporary, I, I also, am, um, you know, this is a temporary thing. Um, one day, uh, you know, the, they, they're going to school or whatever. And then that's, um, that's a totally different situation. And hopefully like I live a different life, um, when that happens, but especially when we're talking about mothers of small children, um, you're talking about uh, several years of your life. Say you have one, if you have one, maybe it's, it's, it's at the very least the first year, Right. Where you're you're probably breastfeeding a lot. The baby's very, very needy, like high needs, has a crazy schedule that that no one can really work around. And if you want to be home at that time, you don't want to just drop your kid off at daycare. You don't want to drop them off with a nanny um, or you don't want to do that for too long of the day. You're still going to have a rough you know, you, you, you have a rough uh, year ahead of you, even with help. Um, so there has to be some recognition that at the very least, a um, young mother will lose that one year. Um, in the work, either she's participating in the workforce and participating badly, or she's really not there for her mm. newborn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she has to pick one of those two things, right. uh, and there's just really no way going, no going around it. And I think there was one, in, you know, in that podcast uh, with those uh, with Barry and um, and and, and Jill, Jill and Louise. There was yeah, like Louise. somebody threw out there. I think it was Jill who threw out there, like, oh, you yeah, know, universal daycare, you know, and that that that's a possible solution to all this. And I just I think that. Um, you mentioned this, Megan, that it's really not, uh, it's not sufficient. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs>
0: I mean, I, I'm curious what you think about that because, you know, I've actually written about this. I, I'm a big proponent of universal daycare, um, even though it doesn't, it wouldn't affect my life at all. But at the same time, like what, what, what is that supposed to look like? Because I can mm. kind of imagine like, are these sort of just government run, Agencies, like dropping your kid off at the
1: DMV every morning. Hopefully, not. Yeah, hopefully, it's a credit. <laughs> if it's a credit, it can work. You know, oh, like I if see. it's, okay. uh, if it's, yeah, if it's, <laughs> uh, if, if okay. a so young mother of, like, is giving. The kid, at least they can get a driver's license, maybe. <laughs> right, you know? then, right. Then they could no, be no, but you're sweet. right. They'd if be it's self so um, sufficient. Yeah. If it's like public schools but daycare, then. I don't think. I think, especially with a precious, precious like teeny, tiny new newborn. You know, they can die so easily, yeah. right? Like, so easily. Um, uh, they can, they, someone can act. They can roll over, suffocate. You know, yeah. like it's, it's so. This thing is so, 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 um, uh, vulnerable. That that the care, the level of care that has to be given to this person is extremely high, and I don't think many people would be happy with a government run anything right so what we're what we're realistically what might be doable is um, credits that are given to to, to again, daycare centers who private daycare are centers are the
0: caregivers because those, young pe- women, those right? are women who are
1: probably leaving their own children <laughs> right at home. Right. young women who are who are sending t- their children are with grandmother or they're delaying kids to 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 Go to their full time daycare job, right, or be (laughs) au au
0: pairs or whatever. But see again because so Jill was saying the kinds of things that we hear a lot from feminists, which is that we have to restructure the workplace. We have to we have to radically rethink the the way that the capitalist economy intersects with women's lives and biological restraints and realities. And I guess it's maybe I'm throwing up my hands, but I kind of just feel like, no, haven't we tried? Haven't we been talking about this for 30 years now, 40 years? And the fact is, it's not going to work. I mean, what does work, and I'm curious what you have to say about this, is multi-generational households. That's the kind of... You will see like conservatives in the comment thread saying something like, okay, well, you know, why can't, why are all these nuclear families, you know, why are people living four person households in giant houses and trying to pay huge mortgages with two income salaries? Why do you have to live this way? How about like, you know, grandma and grandpa live there too. And we take care of the kids the old fashioned way. Now. That from the outside, and I mean, like really from the outside, having no kids and no extended family, that sounds pretty good to me.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, realistically, it's so just annoying to have (laughs) like (laughs) extended family around all the time. Um, So there's there's always going to be a running tension between you know the, the the best life you can live. You know the p- best potential life you can live, and uh, the realistic uh, measures that you have to take in order to to get what you want or get close to what you want. Um, and I think that you know. So from my like cultural background, like in South Asia, like multi generational households are the are the the that that's how you that's how families are organized. Um, that the way where I grew up. Um, in, in Pakistan was a it was like one house I don't know how to describe it but it was like it was like one house but it was actually like mini apartments within within yeah. the house. like there were three kitchens <laughs> yeah there were three kitchens and uh, you know uh around these kitchens were just were, were like two personal rooms and a bathroom you know so it was like these mini apartments and this was a home that like my dad and his brothers built wow um yeah like the with their dad like with their father and his sons built this home so that they can live in you know them and their you know their families that they they make live will live in and you know we did live in it for a couple of years um not every brother was there um some of them moved out and 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 lived on their own it as a nuclear unit but uh there were my aunts and uncles were around me you know um my my father's brothers and their wives were around me and i grew up with my 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 early childhood was spent in this sort of compound like uh with my cousins and it was awesome like mm-hmm. from the perspective of a kid it was amazing i loved it you know i was surrounded by adults who cared about me and this is where it kind of has to be patriarchal you know it can't be uh aunts and and their husbands <laughs> Do you know you know what i mean like it has to be brothers well, and their why wives. is that actually because they had the, they built the house because this is like a because strange men ownership. are and this is something traditional oh. societies understand that for whatever reason we cannot we cannot accept strange men are a bigger danger to children to to children who are not blood like related to them than are blood related <laughs> oh wait okay wait or, wait wait okay sorry go ahead or um, women of any of any relation status.
0: Okay, right? so, so if it was I, your mother's, so okay, wait. So if it was your mother's sisters
1: and their husbands, that the husbands would, not would be, be a danger to the kids. Yeah, right. Well, oh. well, it's it, my mother's brothers are fine, but it's always it it works in the way you know. I was thinking like, oh, this is patriarchy. You know, like why why is it why is it that the woman moves into the extended family of the husband, and the husband and his brothers live together with their parents, you know, and their brothers and their brothers' wives. Their sisters move out into the other family, you know, the other um, extended family mm. of, of, you know, her husband. So it's it's it leaves women in this like really screwed up situation where you have to leave your family into it join this other clan. You know that has strong ties right. to each other, and they don't care about you. You're as the a kind of
0: servant in a way,
1: as a kind of servant, definitely. And it's a it's a very it's a very very tough place for the the woman, when, especially when she first joins and has no allies within that context, and they kind of mistrust her that kind of thing. Um, and she's away from her family of origin, you know, and those are the people who are you know are watching out for her best interests all the time. so you you definitely see in South Asia lots of abuse um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, especially with the women who marry into these families. so a lot of a lot of women who are empowered enough to say, "Hey, I want out, you know, to their husband and 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 get their husbands to move out of those kinds of um multifamily homes. they will advocate for it, and it will be better for them, you know, because <laughs> right. they will be they're they're actually not servants anymore taking care of. Uh, the, the the parents of her husband and and everybody else so it's, it's a it's an empowering thing actually the nuclear family in that context for a woman having said all that it is so much harder as a mother to be in a nuclear family situation than in um, that kind of multi-family compound and i i i will repeat to go back that it has to be this multi-family compound that in, that's brothers <laughs> and their wives because that's safer for children. Um, Do
0: you think it's really safer or you're saying that this is just the presumption? This is,
1: so this is a, yeah, this is a presumption. This is a kind of like, like, of course, common knowledge thing that traditional cultures just accept. And you know, Western cultures have to be like, hmm, like let's well, let's reexamine it this. It is always the mother's
0: boyfriend that is that, molesting that, the kid or right, killing the right. kid. We just there was an the absolutely horrific story in the news this week about um, a little girl who escaped, like a kidnapping her mother and brother were murdered and dismembered by the mother's boyfriend after they were all kidnapped and chained up. I mean
1: right i Absolutely mean there's always there's a million of these stories and it's so it's so frustrating to me to, to me to have these conversations because people will say oh well actually the majority of domestic violence against kids you know uh is committed by women and i
0: know many many it's stepfa-
1: like, good stepfather let's just be clear
0: right, 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 right many right. Many, many great stepfathers people love their stepfather let's just okay, yeah yeah so, of course to be that sure. happens of course
1: yes. to be sure to be sure um <laughs> all of that and to be sure there are very bad mothers um and to be sure that there are women who have abused their children and to be sure um that 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 point about women make up uh, women abuse their kids like just numbers because they're around their
0: kids more yes yes
1: yes that's (laughs) that's what i i'm like well well duh (laughs) duh because they're around them all the time but once you give once you give strange men the opportunity um to be around those kids that often especially alone especially when they're vulnerable uh you know what i don't need to be you know i don't need to do a study you know (laughs) to to know that uh Rapes and molestations mm-hmm. and, and 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 deaths will skyrocket. Because it's of an children. other, because it's outside your bloodline, right? It's outside your bloodline. Well, it's also like children are really, really tough. They're really, really tough. They're screaming. They're kicking you. They're not, you know, especially small children before the age that they can understand you and you can kind of negotiate with them. They're just a just really, really, really physically and emotionally taxing yeah, they're like little terrorists extreme terrorists right but you have to have this overpowering sense of loyalty to them right you know um there was that uh case that was so um so bizarre i don't know if you remember this was a couple of years ago there was this um it, it, she the, the, she i think it was the, the daily mail that covered it but it, i'll 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 link to whatever this article is um, in in the show notes when we're done. But there was this woman, uh, this young woman who had like four or five boyfriends, and she was living in this cool with these many boyfriends, and she was pregnant by one of them, those boyfriends, and they were being covered by like some outlet as like this, whoa, like look at this family, you know. Um, and it was kind of from the perspective of the outlet. It was like, look at these freaks. Oh, but right? they were like, but, these were like polyamorous. Um, yes, yes, okay, yes. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it was one of those poly situations. And you know, uh, there they, they there was even like a the video a video that was made with this with this little family, and you could see that some of the guys were really unhappy about the situation. Like you could see it in their face. They were unhappy about the situation. Um, and she was pregnant by one of those guys, and they were all going to raise it together. It was going to be like oh, the group great. baby. You know, and I remember watching this and thinking... (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) That baby is in danger. Yeah, yeah. That baby is in danger. And then, (laughs) surprise, surprise, you know, baby's born. One of those guys uh, abuses the baby. You know, baby's like, I don't know what exactly he did to the baby. You know, shook the baby, hurt the baby in some way. But the baby was in the hospital. He's in prison now. Mm. Um, You know, it was a really sad story. Could have killed the kid. Um, And... uh, definitely harmed the kid in some severe, I don't remember the details of this case, but I just remember thinking, duh. Yeah. (laughs) Duh. You know why? And, and what, what was happening is that he was on like babysitting duty or something and the baby wouldn't um, stop crying or something happened and it irritated him enough. And he, right. You know, but these things are so vulnerable. You want the men that you want, you want to, you want to limit the possibility of harm to your child as much as possible. And the, obvious you know conclusion is that strange men should probably not be around um that often are around in a in a it, it, you know where, where they're in an enclosed space alone right um with this child that's just it's just common knowledge but it's also one of those things in the west that you can't really i feel like you can't say out loud because it makes a lot of men mad because they're like well i would well, never hurt a child say a lot if you're talking about men
0: of color I mean, you, I, I can't imagine right. like somebody you can trying try to make Street, a case man, sure. that there's some kind of weird, like, um, some kind of like white nationalist compound where people are raising their. I mean, I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine people criticizing like some kind of trad Mormon compound out there as being unhealthy. But, but actually, I, I want to kind of like fine tune this a, a little bit um, before we wind things down because I think that this this point you make about how in countries like, like Pakistan, it's, you know, I, I think a, pe- a lot of people in the West sort of romanticize this multi-generational family thing. And we have absolutely no idea that there is this norm that the women have to go leave their own family of origin and go into this yeah. other, like that paradigm, that, that was actually really new to me. So I'm glad you laid that out. Yeah. That said, why can we not in the West just like, have extended family, why can't we just have our parents move in with us and be grandma yeah, and grandpa? And live, I live mean close. I know so many people who not only would they not want their parents living with them because their parents annoy them and it just it makes them feel infantilized. Like what's the whole point of like growing up and being my own person and having my own house if my parents have to live there. I know a lot of people who say things like they don't trust their parents with Mm. their own kids. Mm -hmm. They don't trust them to raise them with the right values even, or just Mm -hmm. like there's some kind Mm -hmm. of bad political influence. And it's really
1: sad. It's, it's the, it's, again, I think there's a type A micromanager that's, you know, taking over uh, uh, people's better sense of like, okay, what is actually important here? You know, like, would you rather, um, you know, so I, I think it's just kind of, in a way it's really bizarre that we would, that there are, there are so many adults who would rather drop their kids off to strangers, you know, who they're paying to yeah. take care of them than their own blood relatives. Um, but I also understand it because <laughs> I totally get it. My parents have very different values than me. Um, they are bizarre in the, what they choose to, you know, like what they think is like okay to eat at a young age, you know, <laughs> they'll be like, they'll be like, here's some tea you know to the <laughs> to the 11 month old don't do like, this but what would
0: happen okay but let's just say okay like they if, had tea that, so yeah, what would exactly. the right, kid right. would
1: die from tea yeah exactly. you're you're right you're right you're absolutely right but i'm just i'm just articulating the the the, the problem right like i just what is going through the, yeah. the 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 brains of the parents and it's it's absolutely not not uh, rational i agree with you that the kid is fine i lived obviously and i'm sure i had lots of chai you know as <laughs> like a toddler or whatever <laughs> But, we're going to find um, out the effects of early chai exposure soon but, enough. But, <laughs> there's videos of like there's there's videos and it's like t- toddlers and, like my sister, <laughs> like three and she's drinking tea. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, um, but, you know, so I think that the, the one thing that I do want to cover, like c- come back around to it is that, of course, there's a there's a there's an ugly reality here. Um, and we need to find some satisfying solution or at least we need to find many solutions, right? Like 20 different ways of coming at it that each in, in their way, in their own way, make motherhood less of an imposition um, on women in particular. And I think that if we were able to just have those, because I don't think there's one broad solution, <laughs> like a universal daycare won't fix everything. It, you know, you give credits maybe, uh, and they'll fix some things, um, it, but, but, Altogether, I think we need to, to think about our values um, uh, and, you know, re-examine what we would like to do um, and then make, make policy and structural changes as much as possible.
0: Yeah. I think Louise was talking about some of that stuff when she was talking about just how you lose your bodily autonomy, like in a really sort of macro way. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And there was a little bit of a, clip there that I think we didn't include originally, but we should just yeah. include now. Yeah,
2: we should we should listen to that. Um, I think it's right here. You know, the truth is that if your unit of analysis is the individual, and if your whole political philosophy is orientated around maximizing the autonomy of the individual, there is no space for motherhood in that, because mothers aren't really individuals, and infants definitely aren't really individuals, because infants depend entirely for every single need on at least one other person.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I thought that was such an interesting way to put it because when it's when she said it, it became it felt very it was one of those moments where you just like, oh, that that's true. And I, um, you know, she says motherhood mothers aren't really individuals, which is so strange. But it's, it's almost it's not to say that that we are less right. It's that that there's an extension now. um, And the, the term individual is uh, it doesn't really cut what's going on um you know and I, the way that i would put it was that i don't think of myself as a person i mean i of course i'm a person but i'm also people you know <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm i'm me plus others um whose needs i can anticipate um and you know i'm i'm strongly uh, you know inclined to to anticipate and think about and value and prioritize and so there's there's this this sense in which what you are as a mother and a child um, is a different kind of organism, and that that organism is so complex, and their needs are so um, interesting, <laughs> and that really they they diverge also from the broader conception of feminism and what what feminism is, because I think that too much of feminism forms itself on uh, the ultimate being is you know models itself on the ultimate being as as. This man, really, this powerful man in his eighties, who has a has a family, but also a lot of economic power, um, and that that is the ideal kind of human life. Mm-hmm. And how can we get towards that human life? But I think that what would feel ideal and what would f- feel necessary to a mother um, is something completely different.
0: Yeah, and I also thought it was it was very astute that she talked about how. Motherhood is just really not discussed in any kind of meaningful or realistic way in contemporary feminist discourse, gender studies, that kind of thing. And so as a result of that, and this is something I'm adding, we end up with memes, right? We end up with comics about peaches and the mother not eating her peach because she's giving it to the kid and the father putting it in a smoothie. I mean, we get this very watered down, just like pop, popified pop culture, very hollow kind of um, attempt to get at this stuff. Like we're not getting at this stuff in a substantive way. We're making jokes about it and memes and, you know, making fun of husbands kind of thing. And it just becomes this kind of like genre that's very easy to weaponize. Um, It's very easy for you know, people on the right to say, all liberals are like this. And it's very easy for people on the left to say, Oh, if you, if you think this is stupid, then you're anti woman, like whatever. And it's because it's not being addressed in a serious manner. Anyway, well, um, we've been uh we've been talking for a long time so i guess we should we should wrap it up
1: for, for we this should week. wrap it up but this is so long yeah <laughs> well we keep saying that we're gonna you know, have like the episodes are gonna be not this long and then and then we just keep nobody's complained away, so. yet about the length yeah. though
0: I've, so um i have to say that i i've gotten with the unspeakable if if this episode is like under an hour people definitely complain so we're, oh, we're, really? not, we're not gonna mm. have that
1: okay um
0: cool. so okay so but is there anything we want to mention um Anything anybody needs to know, please rate and review the show. Yeah,
1: yeah. Please, please do all the, you know, support the show in in whatever way you can support it. But also, you know, if you want to get the bonus content, uh, which is just an extra, you know, 10, 15 minutes towards the end. (laughs) It's an extra four uh, or five hours. Sometimes, (laughs) sometimes it's, sometimes it's the best bit. Um, It's often like more... Like wh- wacky, I guess. Or yeah, just, it was the uh, best bit. Last, it was so
0: good last time that we decided to make it part of the main feed because. Yeah, but that, that won't happen was, all the time. That, that was happen. just that, that, was that
1: was exceptional. That was just yeah, that was an exception. So, yeah. um, if you want access to that, please subscribe on our Substack, a special place dot com.
0: Yes, and I would just like to say that um, my free thinking women's community. The unspeakeasy is, uh, underway. I'm working on the online community and I'm, uh, really excited to say that there are going to be a couple of retreats. I'm going to do lead these quote unquote ideas vacations. Mm. Mm. Um, and, uh, they, I've got a couple coming up on the East coast in the fall. They're very small and, um, you know, I'm being very hands-on in terms of, Uh, designing them and um, figuring out the right mix of people. But there's going to be one in Vermont at the end of September. And there's going to be one that's going to be even bigger and will accommodate um, a bit more people uh, in New York uh, October 25th through 28th. And it's going to be just outside of New York City. So um, I'm still kind of figuring that out. But if you are interested in that, Go to the unspeaky go to the unspeakeasy.com and um, get in touch with me through that portal and I will tell you more about it this is um, you know these are small so this isn't something that like you know you can just sort of sign up for willy-nilly but um, I am excited about it and I'm
1: announcing it now so and wow. this is just for Exciting. women just, just for, well, so should we you know Megan uh, you are not thinking about the men. What about the
0: men? You know, I am like the last person to do a women's community. It's actually hilarious that I'm doing this, but um, you know, for reasons that I've. We spoken should do a about. men's community. I know. <laughs> well, actually, and I want uh, yeah. <laughs> like like I just think you and I should just need some men's retreats. Like, just
1: yeah, be, like I mean... you guys
0: can like hit bongo drums and like vape, and we'll just like um, you you can you can breastfeed, and I can like do my nails or something. So. Cool. All uh, right. Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, until next time. Have a good time. week. All right. Yeah. See you guys. Thanks. Bye.